This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin, and with me this week are two just incredible human beings, Kara Shamborski. Hey. And Paul Jaceley. Hello. Thank you both for joining me this week, and I'm so excited to be here to talk about comic books. I know that we had told people on our schedule that we were supposed to be talking with Elsa Chartier today, but unfortunately we had to move things around. That episode is coming soon. So instead, we're going to be talking about regular stuff, and we've got a pretty fun topic today, I think. So let's get into it. Let me ask the question I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Paul. I've been good, Mike. You know, um, as I said on past few episodes I've been on, I've settled into a nice regular quarantine schedule here, doing a lot of reading, doing a lot of movie watching. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't complain. Um, So um, I dug into some comics. Of course, like a lot of people at the end of March, you know, Michigan here was going into lockdown. I went to my comic shop, grabbed my last stack of new comics for the foreseeable future. And mm-hmm. I've been sort of savoring those, reading them one at a time. I didn't plow through the, the whole pile. So I've been rationing those out. So I finally got around to reading the latest issue of Love and Rockets. This is volume volume four, number eight. And uh, it's another Love and Rockets comic. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't know that's... what else to say about it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good thing, I'm guessing, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have uh, new material from Los Bros Hernandez. What's really interesting is to read this stuff and see just how both Jaime and Gilbert managed to keep these stories going. You know, so Jaime's been telling this one right. long locust story for 37 years now. And the way he's able to introduce new characters. So like this issue focuses on some more recent characters that have shown up. Um, Tonta and uh, Julie Fair. There's a crossover, of course. You know, Ray D from the old Love and Rockets shows up. Not the old Love and Rockets, but Ray D, a reoccurring character from way back, shows up. Um, Maggie's only on, on like four panels in this comic and yet it still feels like it's part of her story, you know, That's even wild. though it's focusing on these new characters, she's still there. You know, it's, it's like, it's like seeing old friends again, reading this stuff for me. So I really enjoyed right. it. And the Gilbert stuff, I've, I've not read as much of Gilbert's stuff as, as Jaime's cause it's a mm-hmm. little bit more, it's rougher on the edges, edges, it's off putting at times. Um, and I think it's more interesting because of that in a weird way. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a, a, a satire or parody of overcomplicated soap operas or telenovelas. The f- list of characters and the family trees involved are give me a headache trying to unpack who they are. And I think that's the point, you know? Um, right. So it is like diving into a brand new group of characters. And this story that Gilbert does in this issue ends in like an incredibly violent and disturbing way, which I did not expect. And it just made me think like, Jaime's comics are like an old friend. Gilbert's are like shocking and weird. And I like that dichotomy reading them back to back in this format, you know? Yeah, it's it's interesting to get like that difference in comics from one magazine, right? Yeah. Like the, you're, you're coming in and you're not just going to get one single story. I mean, that's what's always, I think, been a draw, I'm guessing, for you on this is that you're getting a, a multitude of different things like an anthology magazine, but it's just these two stories. Yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, sometimes they do weird one-off little one-shots and stuff. And um, um, the the difference in tone between the two of them, even though they're brothers, I think that's what's so interesting. And if you go read the collections, Fantagraphics does break them up. So you can just read the Jaime stuff or just the Gilbert stuff. So that's what I did. And then now seeing them back-to-back in a single issue, yeah, it is sort of a jarring, fun experience. So. Well, very cool. I'm, uh, I'm not super into that particular subset of comics but from what i do know paul i think your insight right here is the first time i've really 
heard somebody talk about them as two different people. Like you kind of started your thing with it's Los Bros Hernandez. And I think yeah. that's how a lot of people think of them. It's like, yeah, we know they're two people, but like, are they like they're making the same story? <laughs> right. Like they're working on the same stuff. They've got a very similar style. So it's really interesting for me as somebody who knows nothing about it to hear you kind of break up and be like, well, actually stylistically, they're very different and they have different like storytelling objectives and a different feel. And that's just not something that I've heard about them before. Yeah. And I think that's, Love and Rockets is, um, it might be a, a hurdle to get into that stuff. And I think it's easy to find one of them and latch onto. Like I did with Jaime. It's like, as soon as I read his stuff, it's like, yes, this is what I want to read. And Gilbert, I had to warm to over time. And I think that might be part of the enjoyment of getting into Love and Rockets is finding that, you know, that difference and in, in, in celebrating it in a way. So, yeah. I also want to briefly mention, I, I've been following up on my Astro City read-through. I just finished volume four of Astro City. And there's, oh, a, nice. there's a character in there named Los Hermanos, who's kind of basically like a, um, a multiple man type character. He can make copies of himself. And he appears on like one or two panels. But the, the way the character is drawn, he has these like really like round sunglasses. And I saw that and said, that's Jaime Hernandez. And then sure enough... <laughs> In the back of the book, Kurt Busick is doing the, you know, they have the character sketches and then Kurt Busick writes, you know, we had a character named Monster Manos. We figured we might as well make a, an homage to the Hernandez brothers who made him look like Jaime, which I thought was pretty funny. Oh, that shows so up cool. in this random comic. So that's really cool. <laughs> uh, very briefly, I do want to mention I have been working my way through Absolute Batman Year One. I mentioned this on the Discord. I want to talk about here on the show very briefly. Batman Year One is a comic I've read. Uh, several dozen times you know it's like one of my favorite batman stories one of my favorite mm -hmm. comics in general i finally uh, ponied up the money to get the big oversized absolute edition which reprints the um original trade paperback version which i've had for you know years and years and years and that's the version i know so it's cool to see that printed on a bigger size it also reprints the original version with the original colors by richmond lewis um I love news. the DC Absolute Editions. Those Absolute Editions are like, if you're a DC Comics fan, how are you reading it any other way? I know the answer is money and space, but... <laughs> I, I will say this was worth every penny because, that, like I was saying, like it reprints the original version on newsprint. So it's like reading the actual physical issues when they came out, you know? Oh, wow. And on the newsprint, on their oversized version, it really makes you appreciate just how much uh, Richmond Lewis's colors add to uh, David Matticelli's artwork. And what's funny is they reprint the corresponding letters columns. So, like, obviously back then, like, the letters columns in the issue were talking about issue, you know, a couple months back. So they kind of, like, line it up. So the the end of the first issue, you get the letters column that's people writing about that first issue. And sure enough, in that first oh, in that cool. first letters column, there's a guy complaining that David Matsucholi's artwork looks like shit. And he can't believe they were charging 75 cents <laughs> for this garbage. And I was like, boy. No way. <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> Oh, sweet summer child. And it's yeah, like, boy, does this guy, does this guy ever figure it out? Like I, I want to maybe track him down and say, did you ever like get it that this is like one of the greatest artists <laughs> of all time? And this is one of his achieving yeah. moments is this book. So, oh man, <laughs> well, it just goes to show you like art is subjective. Not everything <laughs> is for everybody. Everybody's mm -hmm, got their own mm -hmm. taste, but you know, sometimes people make mistakes and it's in print forever. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that that's, that's been a, you know, cause he's got his name and his address. It's the full thing. So yeah, you can probably track oh, him down. So yeah, oh, he's no. going to live in infamy forever well, for that statement. Paul, just write, just write him a postcard and be like, Hey bro, no shade, but what, <laughs> what are you thinking? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Kara, what about you? How how have you been? How have comics been? All that stuff. Oh, Lord. Okay, so... Um... So I currently work for a school, which, as you can imagine, is a time right now. And uh, we've been adding these, like, online enrichment classes for the kids. So Mm -hmm. because, like, you know, uh, a lot of the parents at our school are lucky enough where they are still employed. So they're, like, working from home and they want the kids out of their hair, essentially. So this is, like, appealing for the kids because the kids get to have some more time with Um, the teachers and it's appealing for the parents because they can stick the kid in front of the computer for an hour and be like okay now you're being babysat which right sure (laughs) so so uh one of the other administrators was running like a little doodling class for our youngest kids but one of the older kids signed up for it thinking it was all ages and so i got asked like hey do you want to bring back like a comics club situation for some of the older kids who've expressed interest in drawing and i was like oh sure what does that sound like and they're like well it's basically like you're just gonna hang out with them on the computer while they draw and i'm like that sounds super doable (laughs) (laughs) and uh so I log on for this class that's supposed to have like seven middle schoolers in it and it, it's just two middle schoolers neither of them want to turn on their camera which fine like middle, middle school's the worst I get it and <laughs> I was just like hey guys like I'm he- we're here to have like fun time drawing and like I'm gonna draw and like you guys can draw and do you like do you want to turn on your cameras so I can see like what you're drawing and they were like no and I was like oh god okay oh boy. so Within, like, 10 seconds, I had to, like, come up with an hour-long, like, drawing lesson. And I am not an artist. I cannot underscore this fact enough. Like, the last time I drew, it was, like, doodling Teen Titans characters in math class in 10th grade. Like, I don't draw. And I had to fake it for, like, an hour. I was just like, oh, God, oh, God. Um, What would Bob Ross say if he was in this situation? So I just... Like, I just, like, ad-libbed a Bob Ross, like, comic book drawing session. I, I have a recording of the lesson. I'll, I'll share it with you guys at some point. I like. Oh, my goodness. It's so awkward, because I'm just like, okay, now I'm going to draw, sp-. I, like, I drew Spider-Man. I did a Spider-Man tutorial, and he looks like an alien. It's pretty great, because I made, like, mm-hmm. the, I made the chin extra pointy, because I was just like, but you know what, it's fine, and we're just going to draw his neck so we can cover up the pointiness of the chin. Um, <laughs> I was like going on and on about how this was like, like, th- like these, I, I just, when I'm talking to kids, um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to not like talk down to them. And I understand that some of what I'm saying might go over their heads, but I'd rather them like have more information as opposed to less information, if that makes sense. Which sure, me- which yeah. meant that I was like word vomiting about how like the style of Spider Man that we are drawing is the Peter Parker version of Spider Man, not the Miles Morales Spider Man, which you might have seen in Into the Spider Verse if you went to the movie theaters last year. Just going on about how like Spider Man's expressions really do have to come through his eyes because this is a full face mask. And then I was like, oh god, okay, what do I draw next? I don't know how to draw anything. What can I do that's like a frame of reference for these kids? So I drew Batman. Because mm-hmm. the, like, Bruce Tim version of Batman from Batman the Animated Series in Justice League is basically, like, a box with ears sticking out of it. And I was like, yeah. that I can do. I can do that thing. Yeah, yeah. So I drew a box at Batman. 
<laughs> um, and then I was like, oh, there's all girls in this class. I better draw like a girl. <laughs> so it's not just like reinforcing the whole only dudes can be superhero thing. So mm-hmm. I started drawing Wonder Woman and that was a complete disaster. <laughs> like, I'm sure it was fine for them, but I was just like, well, just gonna like I feel like drawing a sword so we're gonna stick a sword out of her back and now she's gotta have a strap across her front to hold the sword in place and I'm gonna give her shoulder pads because why not it was just a mess like I showed I showed the picture to um one of the art teachers at my school afterwards and she just burst out laughing she was like what are you doing I'm like I can't draw I'm sorry um and I knew, like, one of the girls was really into My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, so I started drawing a pony, which I also showed to this, like, uh, art teacher, and she, like, couldn't keep it together. She was just, like, scream laughing about how she couldn't believe that I gave a horse a button nose. She was like, it's like Homer Simpson and a pony had a baby. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> and then, of course, like, while I'm drawing this pony... um. I'm, like, talking to the girls about how actually drawing horses is, like, a known difficult thing for artists. Like, you could be an artist who specializes in drawing horses and you're still like, god damn it, what is up with these horses? Their proportions, Mm -hmm. I don't get it. So I'm, like, telling these girls how hard it is to draw a horse while I'm drawing this little My Little Pony style character. And then we have, like, 15 minutes left in the class. So I'm like, 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 I'm happy to just keep drawing what I want to draw but do you guys have anything you want me to draw and one of the girls goes can you draw a side view of a horse (laughs) so so with no reference no art experience and free handing it I drew a side view of a horse and you know what it is a recognizable horse I have the basics down it is not perfect but I did the thing (laughs) I did the thing (laughs) Everyone, if you're listening at home, give give Kara a round of applause. <laughs> she deserves it. So I just like I can't believe. Anyway, so the the super long story short is if you are a teacher or know someone who is a teacher who's doing like distance learning through a computer right now, please like give yourself, give them a hug, like mm-hmm. send them an Amazon gift card, like do something like it, they really just, it, I only did it for an hour and I wanted to die. Like, can you imagine having to do all of your lesson planning with no teaching for, with no like training of how to do online learning and suddenly like yeah, recalibrating right, yeah. everything you're doing to keep kids like engaged and learning while they're in a totally unprecedented situation. And in their home environment where they're dealing with like home rules and not school rules. And anyway, so teaching is crazy right now. So if you know a teacher, please be nice to them because they're so stressed out. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then in, ter- in terms of comics, um, I started rereading The Infinite Loop um, by Elsa Chartier and Pierre Collinet, which um, I read a few years ago and I just remember absolutely loving it and being like this is weird and different let's do this it's basically like it's an oversimplification to summarize but essentially it's about like a lesbian time traveling time travel cop like you have to keep the integrity of the time travel continuum and um i just really like the aesthetic of it there's all these like really beautiful um pastel colors but they're um within all these like really um firm bold inks so it's just a really like it doesn't feel like too harsh or too 
soft. It's like this nice middle ground where it's just like bold. It's like what you imagine, um, maybe like a Hanna Barbera cartoon being in the '60s if they had made them like quote yeah. unquote for girls <laughs> with like a lot of pink thrown yeah. in there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that book's beautiful. That book is absolutely beautiful. So I'm I'm enjoying uh the revisiting and um you know when when we do finally talk to um. Elsa Charretier, I'm I'm just I'm like really excited for this excuse to like revisit all her work because like I I do love her work but it's been a while mm-hmm. so I'm like oh oh I guess I'll just read everything oh well right. <laughs> <laughs> oh shucks what a great use of my time yeah so that's me how about you Mike how are you how are comics oh I I've been all right um it's been a series of ups and downs and weird handful of days um but. All things considered, I, it turns out that if you get a good night's rest, it can totally change your outlook on life. Whoa. Um, and that happened to me earlier this week. I got a very <laughs> solid night's rest, and boy, oh boy, I woke up the next day feeling like a million bucks, and I, I, it was just great. Um, but beyond that, I, I've, been, uh, I've been reading a handful of comics, mostly just been reading One Piece. Quick One Piece update. I'm up to chapter 367. I'm continuing. It turns out, like, I've been talking about this on our Discord quite a bit, and now we've got, like, three other people who are also trying to do, like, a catch-up to chapter 1000 um, challenge, and so we've got about 900 chapters to go. Uh, I should say, I've got another, you know, almost 600 chapters to go, but um, everybody else started from page one, and so they're a couple months behind me, but uh, it's going to be really fun. But really, I did sit down and read some other comics. Um, I read Snot Girl Volume 2, California Screaming. This is by Brian Lee O'Malley and Leslie Hung. They are co creators but leslie does all of the art this comic is like the wildest realist book sometimes if you don't know what snot girl is uh it's a story about lottie aka snot girls she's a fashion blogger um she has allergies which causes her to get real snotty which is not cool and not hot and it's very not cool um and so she's constantly trying to hide it from everybody she's got friends who are also a bunch of models slash fashion bloggers slash like business women they're they're all like very cool and they're in a very tight-knit group um and suddenly one day Caroline or excuse me Lottie meets this girl named Caroline and it totally changes her mind she doesn't know if she's in love with her she doesn't know if she just wants to be friends with her um, and then a murder happens and Lottie doesn't know what to do and the book just gets wilder from there like Lottie is it's a very typical Brian Lee O'Malley book kind of feels a lot like Scott Pilgrim kind of feels a lot um like like a, a web comic in a lot of ways where the character is just very real um, and she's got all these very regular problems that are so overwhelming and it's unbelievably relatable to be upset about the fact that you couldn't find like the right shirt to go out or you couldn't you didn't just have any energy to clean up your room today because you have to be on a webcam to you know do some sort of Instagram vlogging maybe that's not a regular everyday thing but I feel like these little tiny things that set Lottie off in the book are just super relatable in a lot of ways. Um, Leslie Hung's art is in fucking credible. Every single person in this book is absolutely hot and beautiful and gorgeous. And she, she really... Like, I don't know shit about fashion, but it feels like everybody in this book is very well-dressed all the time, um, except for when they're not supposed to be well-dressed, to which they're underdressed, but it still looks really good. Um, 
but yeah, I, I just love this series. I think Brian Lee O'Malley and Leslie Hung have done something really fun um, with a book that's about a, a, a strange time in the life of a, like an Instagram influencer. Um, and it feels really genuine and it feels like you get under the skin of these people to understand that, yes, they're real people with problems and their insecurities are the same insecurities that you have. Um, I don't think this is by any means like an original story, but it is like a modern day telling of that kind of story. Um, the next volume comes out, I think, in June, so I was really hyped to get on this, um, and yeah, I really, really like this this book. Like Everybody is so lovable throughout this whole series. I think Brian Lee O'Malley has a stupendous ability to create characters that you really love or you really hate, um, and it helped that uh, we had just talked about Scott Pilgrim pretty recently, so I was like on a Brian Lee O'Malley train. I, I really like this book. I think if you like his stuff, um, you'll definitely dig on this book. I think he and Leslie Hung have struck a really good balance about creating a solid comic book together that just looks beautiful and reads really, really easily. Um, the other book that I want to talk about really quick is a, a book that I picked up on a whim. It's like a comicsology submit book and uh, by Matthew Bogard with story by Matthew Bogard and Jesse J. Holden. And I don't know why, but something about the cover of this book really grabbed me. I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was about, but I figured I'd try it for like 99 cents. And the cover is very simple, but that's, I think, what really drew me to it. It looks super duper professional and for some reason i don't know what it is it just pulled me in um but the story is it's got a very limited palette um like the the art is very simple very web comic-y in a lot of ways kind of reminds me of blue delaquante's um uh jesus oh human star um it's really really cool looking in that in that capacity um the story is it's 1991 our main character allison's dad is a jerk and he's a stage magician and she just discovered the early internet she meets a new friend and they begin to email on and off and she finally sees the way to escape her dad's bullshit now i don't know what it is about stories that take place in like the 90s era where people are just discovering this very brand new thing called the internet and how it's it's really archaic it's really simple it's just text on a black screen um but there's something just wonderfully romantic about it and for me um like there's so much unexplored undocumented undefined wonder in it the fact that people sound such found such richness in simple text and discussion is just fantastic like it's retro tech that contains multitude despite being so like modern day simple in comparison. You know, we've got Twitter and Facebook and all the other things, YouTube, like streaming digital media, all this other shit, shit that we take advantage of, you know, like and we have all this really cool stuff. But in the 90s, just the ability to communicate with someone who lived across the state with you instantaneously or semi-instantaneously was enough for people to be just fucking blown away by it. And I feel like I understand that to a certain extent because it still is a wonder that you can just email someone and they get your information in a second. Um, but I like that the limit, like the, the the ceiling on this in the 90s is so low in comparison to modern day. I, for something, For some reason, it just really warms my heart and I really like it but um yeah Incredible Doom number one it's a six issue series I don't know if there's more of it I only read the first issue but I really really liked it and I'm very excited to read more of it because I for some reason love that time period like early 90s internet <laughs> especially when it's about internet and stuff sure 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 <laughs> um but anyways, yeah, let's, you know, we can move on really quick. Let's talk about some stuff that you guys have been digging beyond maybe comic books. Um, what kind of stuff you've been doing in your in your free time, hanging out with and watching and all that other stuff? Um, let me throw it back to you, Kara. Okay, so I realize I'm a broken record on this, but I'm really still genuinely depressed that I could not go to my perfectly planned Disney World vacation with my mom. Mm-hmm. 
Like, Understandable. It was like literally two weeks before we were supposed to leave and they shut down the park. And I was like, totally get it. I don't want to go if it's not safe, but I've spent like right. a year planning this trip. And if you've planned a Disney World vacation, you know, that shit's like planning a military campaign. Like <laughs> there, if you sleep on it for a second, if you miss that like one opening window where you can score your fast passes, it's over. You're not going on flight of passage. So I don't know. I like... Like, I can't think about my itinerary because then I'll just cry because it was beautiful. Um, so, uh, and and I also just, um, I, I love Disney stuff at, at the best of times. And now I'm discovering it is extra important at the worst of times because it's such good escapism, y'all. Like, oh, so, um, mm-hmm. so I was watching um, Tangled, which, as you might have seen on the internet, is like, the weirdly perfect movie for quarantine that we didn't know we needed because like Rapunzel, like Rapunzel has been trapped in a tower for 18 years when we first meet her and like her opening song is just talking about all the stuff she just does in her room to keep busy. Like she reads, she paints, she makes like candles, she plays guitar, she plays chess, like she like all this crap where it's like, oh, relatable. Um and Meanwhile, you're sitting back with a notepad. You're like, uh-huh, no, no, go on. Tell me more <laughs> take, things I'm that I could no, be I'm doing. T- I'm taking notes. Um, and then uh, plot twist. They don't actually say this in the movie, but the kingdom that she's the lost princess from is the kingdom of Corona. So, oh no, yeah. So, so everyone's like, so, so Rapunzel is in a tower because her like evil, like m- quote unquote mother who stole her wants to keep her away from Corona. Okay, this movie's from, like, ten years ago. Like, unless you're a super conspiracy theorist, you're like, Disney, how did you know? Um, so I watched the movie, and then because Disney Plus is miraculously a thing now, mm-hmm. like, what a coup for Disney. Like, their entire business model is based on in-person experiences, and then they launched Disney Plus, like, right before a global pandemic. Like, they, it's just it's just weird timing, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, so this is Animal Crossing. I mean, we're gonna put our tinfoil hats on and talk right, about Animal Crossing. Right. So, so, um, so of course you watch something on Disney Plus, and then they're like, "You might also like these things," which is how I discovered that there is a Tangled series, an animated series that was created for the Disney Channel a few years ago. Um, wow. So I can't stop watching it. It's so good. So they, they first of all have the original voice actors from the movie. So it's right. it's Mandy Moore and Zachary Levi and all, and all the rest. Um, the animation style is obviously different because the a level of animation for the movie is, like, super expensive. So they did, of like, course. a super pared-down, simplified version for the show, which I actually really like. Like, it took me maybe, like, an episode or two to get into it. But once I was into it, I was like, no, no, this works. I see why they did this. And it's a television show where it's, like, it's for kids, but they're not talking down to the kids. So I, as uh, an adult, like, can genuinely appreciate it because it's, like, it's it's very adventure of the week, but they keep, like, they keep continuity. If something happens to, like, change something in an episode, that change sticks in um, further episodes. There's an overarching mystery plot that they reference back to um alan menken did the music for some of it so it it does feel like super disney um and in a really satisfying way so i have been 
I'm like almost done with season one. There are three seasons <laughs> and I just really like it. It is excellent. It is like my, um, my work is done for the day. I have no brain power. I don't want to read anything. I don't want to like think about anything too intellectually stimulating. Like I am dead to the world. I'm putting on Tangled the series and just like having a fun adventure for 22 minutes. It's great. Um, I also, um, non-Disney related, I just read a book called Cork Dork by Bianca Bosker, which was delightful escapism in a different way, because it's all about this, um, journalist in New York who decides to quit her journalism job to become a master sommelier within a year. And so the book is just documenting her journey to becoming a master sommelier and like learning all about the like super elite wine world of New York, traveling around and learning about like our senses of tasting and smelling, which we underutilize, but are essential for the role of a sommelier. Um, And I, it was just really excellent writing, totally sucked me into this world of like, super expensive restaurants, more affordable wine bars, the different like ethoses of various winemakers, like the weird mm-hmm. courtly anachronistic stuff that sommeliers still have to be like trained on, even if they never use it, how expensive the whole endeavor is. Right. And it's just, um, so it's just a very good read. And I, you know, N- New York is definitely a place where the more money you have, the more you can enjoy it on these more like expensive levels. But it's just really fun to read about it and enjoy it um, without ever having to pay for it. <laughs> so it's a nice, right. nice reminder right. that like, hey, restaurants used to be a thing. Remember going yeah. out? <laughs> well, see, now you've got my interest peak because I've been reading Drops of God and that oh. book is all about wine. And now I feel like I could actually read about real sommeliers doing the stuff that they talk about in this manga so maybe i might have to check that out kara i'm glad that you talked about it yeah cork dork is super accessible like the 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 writer um like doesn't dumb it down but does go out of her way to explain like what because she's like the novice she's learning about this as she goes she starts out as i like wine and ends up with (laughs) i can blind taste test so she like takes you on that journey with her and doesn't really expect you to know anything going in that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What about you, Paul? What are you What have you been digging on? Well, uh, one nice thing about having all this free time is actually able to read things that aren't comics, which is pretty mm-hmm. rare for me. It's so funny. Mm-hmm. Like my my room and my living room's filled with bookcases. I've got all my textbooks from grad school and college. All these like heavy philosophical texts. All these great novels. And really, the only thing I ever read are comics and the occasional music biography. That's kind of like where I'm at in my life. So. Yeah. So I'm working my way through uh, Spray Paint the Walls, The Story of Black Flag. This is by Stevie Chick. It is, as the title suggests, a biography of the band Black Flag. Um, One of my favorite bands from when I was a teenager. Uh, I've I've been a fan of theirs since I've been like 16 or 17. Um, And it's been a fun trip down memory lane. So I'm reading this book about the whole band and how important they were and then revisiting the albums, a lot of which I haven't listened to in, you know, a long time. And, um, it's been kind of fun to go back through that, listen to records that I remember obsessing over when I was like 16 and to still have them work for me, especially black flag music is, uh, you know, it's incredibly angry. So it's kind yeah. of working for me right now, you know, get a lot of anger out <laughs> on my commute yeah. to work and such. So, um, and the nice thing too, is that I noticed Amazon prime actually has the documentary 
Decline of Western Civilization, which is a a film about the new L.A. punk scene in the late 70s, early 80s, and has a lot of footage from an early version of Black Flag. So you can see Black Flag in 1979 playing live in this documentary, which, again, I hadn't seen in maybe 20 years. So go back and revisit that recently. It's been it's been a fun trip down memory lane. So, uh, wow. yeah, those records still work for me. That This book is interesting, and that movie is still pretty awesome if you get a chance to check it out. So Cool. Um, other than that, um, I've also been really enjoying David Lynch's uh, daily weather reports. I don't know if either of you have seen these. <laughs> I, I think you've said a couple before. <laughs> This is this is something that I feel like you have to share with Nick if you haven't immediately directly <laughs> yes. sent this to him. This is right up Nick's alley. Yeah, it's really interesting. So David Lynch, the uh, the avant-garde film director, um, years ago, maybe like 10, 12 years ago, he had his own website and he would do a weather report every day on it. And he kind of stopped after a while. It's been a while since he's done that. And then he recently, last week, started doing it again on YouTube. So if you go to David Lynch Theater on YouTube, he'll post uh, him reading the day's weather for Los Angeles every morning. And hmm. it's nice because it's so normal. You know, you think of David Lynch as being strange, but literally it's just him sitting at his desk telling you what the weather is going to be like that day. And it's such a comforting, regular thing. And of course, it's in Los Angeles. So the weather's the same every day. It's going to be 70 and sunny <laughs> every day. So it's so charmingly and comfortably normal and regular that it's really kind of helping me in a weird way through all this uncertainty, you know? So, um, that's great. And then I, I mentioned Tangled. Like, Paul watches the weather report. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We all find comfort in different ways, you know? Um, uh, and speaking of avant-garde, avant-garde filmmakers, um, I've dig- digging deeper into the Criterion channel, as I talked about on the last episode. And last night I watched F for fake, which is a 1973 film by Orson Welles. And I was fascinated by it. I've known about this movie for years, but I've never sat down and watched it. And it's Orson Welles is, I'm fascinated with Orson Welles. Think about this. Your career, your filmmaking career, you've already had a legendary radio career because you did War of the Worlds, whatever, back in the 30s or 40s. And then you start your film career. The first movie you make is Citizen Kane. Like, where do you go from? Like, think about that career, you know? So this is a movie. This is the last movie he finished before he passed away. Um, And it's a documentary about an art forger, but then it becomes a meditation about Orson Welles' own theory about what truth is and what the function of art. And the whole movie is like him making a documentary. Then it just smash cuts to him in in the editing bay telling you his theory about art. And then like hitting, like you're watching him edit the movie that you're watching. It's so strange and comforting and contemporary. Again, this movie made in 1973 and I'm watching it. I'm like, this feels brand new. Like there's things he's doing in this movie that filmmakers are still trying to unpack and understand how he did it. And it's so amazing. As soon as it got done last night, I was like, I'm going to watch this again immediately. Like it was a really interesting film experience. And again, a film watching experience that I only would have made time to watch um, had I been forced to stay home, you know? So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I was really blown away by it and I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, that's that's been on my list for a really long time. Maybe I'll have to move that up just so I can have another person to talk to about it. Because <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's not a movie that you can really watch alone until you can, or really watch and then fully understand until you've discussed it with at least a handful of people. So maybe I'll check yeah. that out, Paul. Yeah. Sounds cool. 
Um, for me, uh, my, my interests really only go so far. I mean, I've been doing the same handful of things I've been doing, I've been talking about for the last few weeks, but um, I, I have been uh, listening to this podcast series called Binge Mode Star Wars. Um, it's put on by the ringer.com. If, it, it's, if you're into Star Wars or Game of Thrones or Harry Potter, um, I've probably mentioned this to you at some point, but it's a, it's a series where uh, they focus on a specific like you know thing so in this case it's star wars in other cases like game of thrones they did before they did the whole harry potter book series and movie series um and they go really in depth through all of the information you could potentially weave through um to to discuss these things and the star wars one i was like there's no fucking way they do star wars right right there, there's way too much star wars there's way too much to even take in but every episode i listened to so far has been stupendous like i've, I've only gotten through the episode one episode two um episodes where they talk about the the film they're they're watching them and discussing them in chronological order of the of the you know fictional universe um but between each episode they've been doing these one-off specials they did one about jar jar binks because you got to talk about jar jar binks and they actually they you know they go through the problems they go through the good things um but everything and it's it's really unique i saw a really disturbing t-shirt featuring jar jar binks the other day oh really yeah I gotta, I gotta send you guys the link. Um, it's over at Uniqlo. Uniqlo has a bunch of um, Star Wars sh- shirts, and the Jar Jar Binks one is like Jar Jar Binks, but in like a Japanese art style sea monster situation, where it's just like his enormous head coming out of a cresting tsunami wave, and it's just <laughs> wrong on like every level. I kind of love just the description of that. <laughs> I'll, s- I'll send you guys the link we can post it in the notes. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, but anyways, that so that podcast has been really good. They, I just listened to their episode on droids, their study, uh, character study on droids, Star Wars droids in general. Um, Brian and Kara, I think, would be really big fans of that based off of the, the Star Wars episodes that they did on the Patreon. Um, Beyond that, I, I've been doing a lot of writing for D&D stuff, which means I've been trying to read and consume as much fantasy stuff as possible. Um, we ran like a series of D&D one-shots on the Discord, and I did tried to wrap everything up this past Saturday, which I think was really fun. Um, at least I had a lot of fun playing it. Um, and yeah, so I've been reading The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. It's a pretty popular series if you're in the fantasy genre. Um, I really love it. It's fantastic. I read like 40% of the book yesterday, so I'm almost done with it. Um, and beyond that, uh, I've been just drinking Japanese whiskey on the weekends because i'm the type of person that orders whiskey on the internet and i was like let's get some japanese stuff and this is probably some of the best i've had it's called nika whiskey from the barrel i'll post a link to it in the show notes if you're interested in whiskey but it's it's very very good it's very good whiskey yeah a lot of people Um, don't think of japan when they think of whiskey because they tend to think of like scotland or ireland or american bourbon instead but mm -hmm, japan mm -hmm. is doing some really interesting things on the whiskey front yeah, it, it, I've I've done a lot of reading about Japanese whiskey. I don't know why. I just find it really interesting. Um, the Japanese whiskey market was like on a severe decline at one point because nobody wanted to drink whiskey in Japan, so they just stopped making it, um, or a lot of places shut down. And only a handful of distilleries stuck around for a really long time. And the big thing about whiskey is you want to age it. You want to have really old aged whiskey. So some of the stuff that's out there that's been aged, you know, thirty years, forty years, fifty years, is so expensive. It makes me want to. Like I'm talking like eight grand for a single bottle of whiskey. It's crazy. And and it's only Japanese stuff that's like that. I mean, you can get it from everywhere else. But the Japanese stuff in particular is extremely rare because of how few distilleries there were 30, 40, 50 years ago. And there's a lot more now. Like the stuff that I think I'm drinking here is only a few years old. But 
it's it's fantastic stuff. I've every Japanese whiskey I've gotten, I've I've really really enjoyed. Um, and yeah. So, anyways, we let's let's take a break. We've been talking for a really long time. Let's take a quick break, and we come back. We've got an interesting topic for this week, um, yeah. and you'll see what it is. So we'll be back in a second. For our show this week, we are doing something a little bit different, a little bit strange, because, you know, there is magic in the air. Well, I think that it's magic. I don't know. I've been trapped in my apartment for eight (laughs) weeks straight, but I've decided that we're going to talk about the number three. And more specifically, we are going to ask three questions, because three is a magic number. It's a powerful number. There's a specific reason why there's only really ever been three people on this show and there, we're still building to what that actual answer is. Um, you will find out in episode 300 when we Ooh. get to the true magic number, and maybe Whoa. even 333 when we get to the final number. Whoa. That, that is, <laughs> that's way too ominous. Sorry. Mike, um, but really, really we, are here today to, we are here today <laughs> to talk about three questions. Um, I have given specific instructions to Kara and Paul um, and myself to ask a question to one other person who's on this episode. So we're going to start with Paul. Mm-hmm. Paul, I asked you to give Kara a question, and she's mm-hmm. going to answer it as honest as possible. So, Paul, what was your question for Kara? Kara, you and I are both aficionados of strange Silver Age DC comics. So I was wondering if you had the chance to bring back or revamp your favorite obscure DC Silver Age character for a miniseries, uh, which character would you pick? Why do you pick that character? And what's the creative team you would pitch for this miniseries? Okay, so I have two answers for you paul on this but first of all fuck you like you make me pick one like how dare um so um so i have to tell you my initial like gut response for this question was going to be calendar man because time is meaningless right now (laughs) So, so i feel like something weird and existential could be done with that but he's not he's not a favorite character. I don't really know anything about him other than I'm so glad he got included in the Batman Lego movie. Um, oh yes. <laughs> but like when you th- Oh yes. But like when you think Silver Age, you got to think like ridiculous Batman villains. And like obvi- and then my next thought was like, "Oh my god, Flash's Rogues Gallery." But that was like, "No, Kara. They're not obscure. You have to pick an obscure one." Paul said obscure. Do obscure. <laughs> Um, and then because you gave me this question like 20 minutes before we started recording, I sprinted. So, okay, quick backstory. Uh, last year I Marie Kondo'd the shit out of my room at my parents' house and I was so into it and so ruthless that I was this close to throwing out my beloved DC Comics Encyclopedia because my thought process mm. at the time was this is from like 2005. There's 15 yes. more years of updates in this. But my mother saved it. She was like, this is this is like your adolescence. And I'm so glad she had that little little gut check for me. So she put it, mm-hmm. she moved it into like the family bookcase with all the fancy coffee table books. So I like ran to the family room with that and grabbed out that book and literally flipped through the pages being like, okay, Silver Age, because they have all the little dates of when the characters were first introduced. So and actually, a lot of characters that I thought were Silver Age, actually Golden Age, like I was thinking Shining Knight, Vigilante, those dudes are from the 40s. 
and oh. mm-hmm. right so um and like i was really surprised by like the majority of the characters in this book um that i thought were silver age were either very firmly golden age or very firmly bronze age so i'm glad i checked before i gave an so, answer really before we get too deep into this as someone who knows a lot about comic books and definitely knows the answer to this but maybe some listeners don't what is the silver um, age definitely not me what is silver age what is golden age what is bronze age good question <laughs> i always get these things confused good question i did have to google it to make sure i was actually picking proper <laughs> silver age all right so um hello listeners welcome to a history lesson um the golden age of comic books in the united states is generally considered to be um the 30s and 40s that's when like the major like there was just an absurd number of comics being published it was cheap it was a good money grab kids had some kids had a little bit of money to spend um superheroes became a thing starting with superman uh, a lot of patriotic heroes came out during the war. Uh, a lot of not just superhero comics, but um, like wartime comics, and uh, there was just such a prolific amount of uh, content being created that it it is considered to be the quote unquote golden age of uh, comics, um, and specifically superhero comics because that's when we had the introduction of. Uh, Superman started it all, um, Batman, Wonder Woman, um, The Flash, the original Green Lantern, who was magic and not space cop, um, <laughs> Captain America, um, Archie Comics is from that time also, and they actually had a patriotic superhero named The Shield who predated Cap by like a month. Um, so it's like, I always have to get that one in there. I have to stay on brand. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. Silver Age. So then after the war, um, there's kind of like a slump and Pete because like everything was so war oriented that it took kind of like a little bit for um, the comic book companies to kind of uh, recalibrate a little bit Um, all of a sudden you're getting into like like the space race and things being more sci-fi that's like one of the many reasons Wonder Woman comics are so weird from that time Um, you're starting (laughs) to get like um, a second generation of heroes that were introduced in the 40s trying to get like Barry Allen as the Flash Hal Jordan as the Green Lantern um, like those rogue galleries come into uh, effect Uh, the Silver Age is generally considered to be I think like mid 50s to 1970 like it seems like 1970 Mm -hmm. is like the tail end of that and then following that is the Bronze Age of American superhero comics, which is like, oh god, um, 70s, 80s, and then I think after that is the quote-unquote modern age, and we really need more distinctions after that, because that's like 30 years between then and now <laughs> that we have to cover. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Bronze Age yeah. is Bronze Age is more like um, the Perez run of Wonder Woman, um, Teen Titans, um, X-Men are everywhere. Um, like, just like more like disco stuff which i say specifically because of characters like dazzler Dazzler. um Mm -hmm. but yeah like a lot of a lot of character like um this is the age of uh justice league international so characters like um fire and ice um guy gardner's green lantern Mm -hmm. um so like things are getting like more modern lots of big hair lots of weirdness um storm is everything over at marvel um, yes. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, 
And then, uh, yeah, and then, like, the 90s onward is considered the modern age, but there really need to be more sub-distinctions after that, because clearly a lot more has happened in comics since the 90s than just the nebulous modern age distinction. All right, history lesson done. So, obscure (laughs) favorite character of the Silver Age, and now that I had, like, my fancy book, I found a character that is... Like, I love her, but I don't know if everyone knows who she is, even though she's been in a movie recently. I will mention her, and you guys will be like, who? Um, so the character I chose was introduced in 1966 at the tail end of the Silver Age, but, like, with a few years to go, so I feel comfortable with this. Um, her name is Enchantress, also known as mm-hmm. June Moon. Um, okay. Over. See, you don't know. She's been in a movie recently, and you still I, don't right. know. It's okay. I'm trying. No, I'm trying really hard. No, this is not a comment on you. This is a comment on how few people actually remember Suicide Squad. So, okay. <laughs> Enchantress. Um, over the years, her team affiliations have included Suicide Squad and the Shadow Pact. She is a sorceress, um, who's obviously far less known than Zatanna. Um, and she, I, I find so interesting because she has been both a villain and a hero and occupied, um, that gray area between the two. So I find her, um, maybe a little more interesting than some of the other characters. Cause DC is very like, um, like as a, as a company concept, DC has, um, its roots very firmly in the whole, like heroes are, um paragons to look up to and the examples of the best we can possibly be um contrasted with marvel where their ethos has kind of been for since the 60s like um human like heroes are also humans and are therefore fallible and have flaws um so Mm -hmm. i think um enchantress is so fascinating as a dc comics character because she is one of the few DC comic characters that I find has not really had an issue um, being an anti-hero in this world made of heroes, if that makes sense. Like, I think it's really easy to um, to look at a lot of characters in DC and just get kind of taken aback by all the contortions DC has had to kind of do over the years to keep them the way they want them to stay especially if you've got like a really valuable ip like um batman superman wonder woman like Mm -hmm. there's only so Mm -hmm. much you can ultimately do with those characters because they're your money maker but the smaller lesser known characters tend to have much more interesting character development storylines and plot developments because there's not as much money tied up in them, so the creative teams working on them at the time can have a lot more fun and leeway with what they're doing. Right. So, um, I was I uh, discovered Enchantress as a character um, in the mid two thousands when I was reading all like the Countdown to um, Infinite Crisis stuff. So she first appeared in that in the um, uh, Day of Vengeance miniseries. Which led into the Shadow Pact series, which ran for, I want to say, like, 30 issues. And, like, no one has read this thing. It's, like, not been republished, but I am obsessed with it. Like, those are the floppies that I keep. Because, mm-hmm. like, they did, like, one trade of, like, the first six issues and never collected the rest of it. Which is such a tragedy because I love magic 
and I love DC Comics, and this was a beautiful marriage of the two, kind of exploring yeah. the magical aspects of the DC universe through the lens of this like magical based anti-hero team like everyone had their shit going on but ultimately they're trying to work for good mm -hmm. but they recognize that they're not all good people but they wanted to work together to f defeat like profound evil that they knew was in the DC mm -hmm. universe on the magic side of things so um, Enchantress as a character appealed to me because she, um, like her magic, it, like you think Zatanna and you're thinking like stage magic and like doves and cards and like she does like her back backward speaking thing and she can make cool stuff happen. But ultimately she's still very grounded in that sphere of the stage. Whereas yeah. Enchantress yeah. to me is more like, I am going to read your cards i have these runes but they only work under the moon at the equinox in the clearing with the fire at this certain way like it's more like earthy <laughs> yeah and yeah um but she's like i i think she got her powers like from a demon but she's like not um but she's like not tied up in uh christian mythology she's very much like of the earth and like deeper more spiritual magics than um maybe some of her companions in the shadow pact which is the the team that she was on um so for me she was a really compelling character because she hinted to something uh deeper in the dc universe than just i'm gonna punch the bad guy and save the day so that was always mm -hmm. hugely appealing to me um, just like as a as a way to think of this this universe where like there's there's like a populated galaxy that's so populated it needs space cops and like there's like crime fighting <laughs> yeah. in Gotham that's so ridiculous that they need a whole bat family to do it and then there's like Enchantress who is making sure that the magical side of things is staying in balance. So I always like loved that whole thing. And it's very clear that like, no one really knows who she is, even though Cara Delevingne played her in the Suicide Squad movie. I did have to right. look that up. <laughs> I did right. have to look that up because I was like, wait, wasn't she in the movie? And I hated it because it wasn't who she was at all. Yes, that. Um, she was also briefly <laughs> yeah. in Legends of Tomorrow on the CW. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. At this point, you could say that about most DC heroes. <laughs> sure, though, like... but that's why I love that show, because that show is everything I liked about the DC universe right, before they right. started rebooting it. Anyways, so all this is to say that Enchantress is my pick, and for okay. my creative team, because you did ask for a miniseries, who would I want for my dream creative team? Correct, so as yeah. I said, she's like into all of these darker... Um, lesser trafficked areas of the DC universe. So I was thinking Becky Cloonan on inks um, mm -hmm. okay. from her work in the um, the story she collected in uh, By Chance or By Providence. Um, things like wolves, all these really uh, bold um, fairy tale-esque uh, images that speak to something darker, but not like not like Hellboy dark but like mm -hmm. there's something else in this world that we don't know yeah. kind of mm -hmm. deal yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, for covers and colors I would want Stephanie Hans okay. because mm -hmm. Yo. <laughs> right <laughs> I'm swinging for the fences here 
Yeah, I so love it. So Stephanie Hans's colors on her on her covers tend to be really vibrant, but I would hesitate to call them bright. So I feel like they would work yeah. really well in translating uh, Enchantress's like earthbound magic into something yeah. really elemental and powerful just through the use of color. Um, and then for my writer, I went slightly outside uh, the comic world to pick uh, Lee Bardugo, who um, she writes like a million best-selling YA fantasy novels. Um, but mm-hmm. in comics world, we know her because she wrote the novel Wonder Woman Warbringer um, a few years All ago. Right. Yeah. 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 So she wrote Warbringer. We know she can do comic adjacent stuff. And um, her most recent book, I think, is Ninth House, which was all about like magic being a real thing at Yale University and how that plays out and how like New Haven, Connecticut is actually like bound by all these like ley lines and mystic things happening. Um, So exactly. So in thinking about Enchantress and I was like, well, I don't know if I want to like just take the lazy route of picking someone who's already written like a magic based comic. And then I was like, holy shit, Lee Bardugo. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's all of my choices. Thank you for coming to my Ted talk. (laughs) I love it. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, If uh, DC comics, if you're listening, there's your pitch right there. I would buy the shit out of that comic. So, right. Yeah. Would you not though? Like, Oh, we should, I'm Uh, I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to, I'm going to move real quick here and i'm gonna i'm gonna jump over to to paul yeah uh you had a question from me which is what is the best dollar bin purchase in your collection and what makes it the best with a follow-up of would you consider bagging and boarding it and or mylar blocking it to preserve it for future generations so what, what what's your thoughts on that question i have two answers for this and i will okay. again preface this by saying this question was pitched for me about 20 minutes before we recorded I didn't really have time to dive into my long boxes to to find the the real hip obscure pick that it, maybe I, sure. I should, but two books came to mind immediately, so I'm going to go with those, and I picked them for very different reasons. One is DC Comics Presents number eighty five, which is by Alan Moore and Rick Veitch, with inks by Al Williamson, colors by Tatiana Wood, letters by John Costanza. This features my favorite Superman story of all time, the Jungle Line, where Superman teams up with Swamp Thing. And the reason I picked this is because I had a trade collection called DC's, like the best team-ups in DC history when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And this was in there. And of course it had, you know, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow team-up. It had Flash of Two Worlds, all these like classic, um, you know, Silver Age, Golden Age stories. And then there's this story with Swamp Thing and Superman where Superman gets sick and crashes a car that he's driving and gets healed by Swamp Thing. It was so strange. It looked so different from everything else. It burned mm-hmm. into my brain when I was like eight or nine years old. I read that comic countless, countless times. Unfortunately, that trade is long gone. I don't have it anymore. But I found this issue in the dollar bin maybe five or six years ago. And I had that moment nice. when you see the cover, I'm like, this is it. And I open it up and it's the panels were just so seared into my memory. It's like, oh my gosh, this is the comic I remember so vividly. So finding that a dog-eared you know, copy where one of the staples is falling out and the cover's going to fall off at any minute, it was such an amazing moment to find that in a dollar bin. It was like that thing where like, you see it and your hands start shaking. Like, oh my gosh, it's actually a physical thing in my hands. You know, It's not just a memory. Right. So 
that moment of finding that is really important to me. I've read it that story countless times since finding it again. And uh, to answer your second question, no, it's not bagged and boarded. I like the sort of dog ear yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. you know thing to it. But you want to preserve it, Paul. What if you want to read it again in fifty years? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good, good point. Um, uh, Just scan the second, it today. <laughs> that's yeah. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you can find this story digitally. But again, the, the thing about digging through dollar bins isn't so much the the story itself; it's the seeing it you know what i mean so yeah very absolutely. very brief tangent i was doing some online shopping going to a you know a store that's comic store that's selling stuff online and doing some ordering through them and it's so hard to think of what you want you know and type it in and try to find it online the actual act of flipping through issues in a dollar bin is so much more satisfying to me you know what i mean mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. my second answer would be uh kill your boyfriend which is a one shot that grant morrison wrote in 1995, art by Philip Bond, inks by Disraeli, colors by Daniel Vazo, and ink, uh, letters by Ellie DeVille. This is a book I knew existed but had never seen a physical copy of. And then finding it in the dollar bin was so funny because I found it and was like, oh, a Grant Morrison comic I haven't read. I pull <laughs> it out. I take it up to the counter at my local comic shop. And Mike, you know the the uh, the founder of our local comic shop here in Grand Rapids, uh, Kirby. Um, yeah, he's a kind of is a charming curmudgeon. You know, you kind of didn't know yeah. if you're going to get him on a good day or a bad day. You know, so <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I remember going up to the counter with my stack, and this was on top. And he his eyes lit up. He's like, "Oh, this was in the dollar bin. This is a great comic." And he started flipping through it, and I was like, "I found a winner. You know, I found a, the, yeah. the the treasure. You know, in the bottom of the sea there." So. In all my years shopping at that shop, I don't think he ever once looked twice at any of my comics. So I think that, Paul, you found a true winner with that one. Yeah, and it's it's a great issue. Of course, again, you can find it digitally. It's been collected, but I never would have bought a collection that this was a part of, you know? So finding it for a dollar, which is far less than the cover price, oddly enough. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a Grand Morrison comic from the mid-90s. It's not a metatextual exploration of the nature of reality. It's just a story about a teenage girl who... Um, falls in line uh, with a bunch of ne'er-do-wells and it's a coming-of-age story it's got some parallels to uh, natural born killers which of course is a big part of mid-90s pop culture and um right it looks great philip bond art it's it's, it's sort of a hidden gem in grant morrison's um bibliography or, or um you know his his collected works so finding that for a buck was kind of a thrill again it's not in a bag and a board it's in a floppy lying in a stack in a closet so that's of course, of course. You know, yeah, that's how I do. I mean, I know it's the Paul way of doing things. That's, <laughs> I, I understand that. But my, my, I guess my follow was up was more like, hey, if you wanted to keep this book, if you had to go through your your backlog and you had to find some books that you're like, I really want to preserve these. I mean, would you put these in a, in a bag and board or a mylar block and say like, you know what, I have this one day I'm 75 years old and I've got this hanging on my, you know, my wall. Uh, maybe something like kill your boyfriend isn't something you want to have just plastered <laughs> right, on the wall, exactly, but yeah, who knows? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Mike, I, I commend your, your optimism thinking that there's going to be a future. So... Um. <laughs> And meanwhile, I'm over here just still fixated on the fact that Paul used the phrase ne'er-do-well to describe part of this book. When was the last time I heard anyone said that? Like, talk about anachronistic. We are all over the place today. Yeah. (laughs) I am nothing if not an old man, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess to get to our final question of the day, I I pointed Kara to me. So, Kara, could you read your, your question to me and i'll give you my big old answer that i've got i'm so ready for your answer mike so you are stuck in a comic book universe and all of the rules of that universe apply to you for better or for worse which universe are you stuck in plot twist 
once you find your way out of this comic book universe, you will never again enjoy reading about it. So that that plot twist really shook me. I'll just say that. I, well, I because um, if, if I didn't add it, I know you would pick Marvel and just be an X-Man playing baseball from now until the end of time. So I had to make you want not to hate it a little bit. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, with that, um, I actually had a couple of different ideas um, that I was going to approach this with. I was thinking like Archie Universe at first because like everything's pretty pleasant. Like, and I'm talking like, you know, the the classic style of Archie where it's just whimsical and everything's kind of fun and you can eat 600 cheeseburgers and not get sick. Uh, you just get a little sleepy. Um, but really, my answer for this was... Uh, the Sonic universe, which also um, because technically the Sonic, Archie, but okay. <laughs> it, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So technically Archie, but not actually in the shared yeah, Archie yeah. universe. Um, so I picked the Sonic universe because it's you know it's cartoon characters, it's nonstop chili dogs, no real currency to think of, cool leather jackets, and of course I'd probably be abducted and turned into an evil robot that Sonic would have to save. Because I don't think I would end up being the hero, right? There's no way that I end up being better than Sonic, but at least I'd have a ton of cartoon friends to hang out with, and I. I'm talking a lot like the if you don't know anything about the Sonic car- comics like there is a lot to unpack there's in so that universe I was unpack. there's hundreds of these comics that are out there I was I was googling around to just try to make sure that my my pick was going to be a good one and it definitely is um, I mean there's multiverses there's time travel like they the real world our world that we live in today exists in the Sonic universe which kind of brings me to the end of my my point but I'll get to that in a second Multiverses are a big thing. Um, there are multitudes of different Tailses and not Knuckleses and Sonicses and any character you can think of that's in that universe. Um, but I think what would happen is as time goes on, the super cartoony story of Sonic and that universe would eventually turn into the weird 90s grunge cartoon that eventually the Sonic comics became. They went from like these really cartoony strip style comics into more of like real world problems where Sonic is warping into our universe and saving real human beings from being mugged by other human beings. Like Sonic has no business here. Sonic's supposed to run fast, eat chili dogs, and beat up Dr. Robotnik, and that's it. And yet, for some reason, he ends up... Like, the comics go really, really far. Like, we talked about it on a previous episode about crossovers. Sonic crossed over with, like, the Image universe at one point. Like, all this stuff really comes together. 90s Image? Yeah, I'm talking, like, the Max shows up, Spawn shows up, Savage Dragon shows up. It's really fucking weird. I, I... I'll find the link for you guys. It is insane. So my thought is that I wouldn't have to find a way out. I think that the universes would fully eclipse each other and become (laughs) one. Um, And, you know, you talked about my optimism about like... (laughs) about things no it becomes a grim dark future where we're living with cartoon characters alongside of us a la toontown from like who framed roger rabbit and like so eventually you end up with cartoon characters who are living real everyday lives you've got people who are like fortune 500 ceos i'm talking shadow uh (laughs) to bag boys at grocery stores i'm talking sonic to soccer hooligans i'm talking knuckles to professors at university like tails or olympic archers like amy rose There, there are plenty of sonic characters that could fit into the regular universe but we'd have to live alongside them and it would be bizarre because their cartoon antics would still take place even in the real world so you've got some blue haired hedgehog blasting down the highway at 900 miles an hour causing all sorts of traffic and no one can stop him because no one can travel that fast nobody else is a cartoon so 
the the reason why I picked this is also kind of uh, just a a period on the entire thing. If I didn't have to read Sonic comics ever again, nobody would have to read them ever again, which is probably better for humanity in general. Um, <laughs> Come at me, Sonic comic fans. No, Whoa. the Sonic comics are really bizarre, and I think it would almost be wacky and wild to live in that universe for a while because the weird, the place where Sonic lives, you know, the green zone or whatever it's called, I don't know enough about Sonic lore to actually be an expert to talk about this, but I know enough. Um, you know, it would be fun to live in this semi-modern, kind of fun, wacky, forested area that has all sorts of different climates and places. You have to deal with Dr. Robotnik every once in a while, but you know that Sonic and the gang is going to take care of it, so there's really not that much to worry about um it would probably be fun for a little bit everyone would be almost grossly optimistic but there are some serious things that happened in the sonic comics that i i don't know how they got away with them in the 90s like again like assault and and people stealing things and bank jobs and all this crazy stuff that somehow fits into a sonic comic that only sonic and, and his crew of people can save you know like he, at at some point he eventually has a whole group of people like there's a walrus and there's four other hedgehogs and a rabbit and um there's like a time hopping I think there's a time-hopping rabbit, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. Sonic comics are wild. Um, but really, that that's what I would pick because it's it's the most cartoony, zany thing. And if I didn't have to read them anymore, that's okay. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I'd have my fun, and then I'd be done. And that's that's okay. I appreciate your thoughtful response, wow. Mike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't destroy something I loved, really. I, I mean, as much as great as it would be to live in the melodramatic world of the X-Men, um, then if I left, there would be no more of that melodramatic X-Men for me. Right. So how do I survive? I mean, Carrie, you had your, your spot right on. <laughs> I would definitely just play baseball with the X-Men nonstop. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't, really? <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and now all I can think of is where is my where is my f- fan fiction that is the X-Men crossed over with Twilight so I can get that baseball scene out of my head. Um, that's all that I want. I'm sure it exists, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyways, I don't know. That, that's that's what we had for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it out there. Um, a little last minute planning, but I, I ultimately had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for the education, Kara, on the silver, bronze, and golden ages. Um, because I can never keep that stuff straight in my head. All I know is that the comics from those different times were different sized comics, so I have to buy different bags for them if I ever buy them. <laughs> right. That's the only way I've been able to distinguish them in my wow. head. Wow. Okay, that's a fun yeah. fact. I'm a true comic fan, guys. Oh. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Any last-minute thoughts about, about your questions or any, any responses that you guys want to get in before we wrap up? I mean, I'm just really sad that my miniseries pitch is not a thing yet <laughs> like as i was thinking <laughs> yeah, of it yeah. i was like wait a minute how haven't they done this yet <laughs> yeah let's get on the horn with uh dc execs i got a direct line to jim lee i'll make sure that that uh gets floated to him in the next couple weeks <laughs> <laughs> and mike i gotta confess to you you started talking about sonic and you're talking about like chili dogs and i was like is he talking about those two doofuses in the drive through from the commercials or could the, is this i Paul, didn't realize no! you were talking about the oh, video no! game at first so. oh my god paul <laughs> it took me a while to figure that out i'm like again i'm old so oh um i so there aren't really sonic drive-throughs in the greater new york metropolitan area so that frame of right. reference is not as applicable to people in this area yeah gotcha. i think i've definitely been to a sonic three times in my whole life and every time i left Full of food and moderately disappointed. Oh, so, um, that's a, that's a ringing come at me, thing. Sonic fans, as I said. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, anyways, thank you guys for, for putting this episode together with me last minute. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Kara at Kara SM. You can follow Paul at Oh Hi Paul. And you can follow me at Mike Rappin. And you can follow the show at RCB Podcast, where I post on Instagram and Twitter whenever I can. Um, sometimes I post previews like I did today. This show and our many sponsor-only episodes are powered by fans like you on Patreon. You can join now at patreon.com slash Podcast. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to rate and review the show. If I had to suggest a rating, I think five stars sounds pretty good. Um, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us on Discord at ircbpodcast.com slash Discord. And make sure to tell a friend or two about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. I want to thank Xander for being an incredible editor and just a just a good person overall. He's just such a nice guy. He edits the show. Uh, I want to say thank you to Paul and Kara for being on the episode this week. You guys are incredible. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Did you happen to watch that um, that Orson Welles documentary that was on Netflix last year? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's called um, They'll Appreciate Me When I'm Dead or They'll Love Me When I'm Dead or something like that. I, I can't remember the exact title, but that's really fascinating. I think that's, I obviously have seen a lot of Orson Welles movies, but watching that really made me interested in his late career. So gotcha. it's all about... Yeah, I, I... I, I want we were we were running so long. I, know, I, I wanted know. to talk more about Orson Welles for a second because yeah. I I really I really like your your point is is great because like yeah you start with one of a movie that is considered one of the best films ever made yeah as the beginning of your career like what the fuck do you do afterwards yeah like in the the question is like a lot of weird shit and then you get drunk on set and just you're a <laughs> bastard like I think that's the answer but. Um, yeah, I think that that movie is called uh, "They'll Love Me When I'm Dead," right? Yeah, which uh, yeah. Have to, uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen it. It's so um, yeah, because it's about him making this movie called "The Other Side of the Wind," which is supposed to be this big epic he was going to make, and he never finished it. Um, but like, yeah, again, what's so strange is that you start with Citizen Kane, and then you make movies that other people, that film critics say, might be as good, if not better, than Citizen Kane, but aren't as successful. So by the time mm-hmm. you get to late '60s and '70s. Like, no one was giving him money. Like, he was self-funding all of his movies. And it's like, it's fascinating. Like, no one is taking a chance on Orson Welles. So he's doing all this stuff out of his own pocket. That's why he's making commercials for wine, you know, and getting drunk on set. You know, doing these, <laughs> yeah, these terrible yeah. commercials and stuff. But then you watch F for Fake, and you're like, dude, this guy was on another level. Like, he's doing shit that people still, that I think people still are trying to figure out. Like, it was so far beyond his contemporaries at that point, you know? So... Yeah, I'm just really fascinated with him lately. So uh, that might be my next deep dive is to get rewatch a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I, I admittedly I've I think I've only ever seen um uh fucking Rosebud that movie Citizen <laughs> that's, Kane. That's Kane yeah. uh, <laughs> fucking Rosebud is its new title. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever I don't think I've seen any of his other movies beyond just Citizen Kane. Yeah. Um, I saw Citizen Kane once, and I remember my reaction just being like, fuck, everyone's right. This <laughs> is the best movie. It's not necessarily a movie I will rewatch all the time, but like while watching it, I was like, even I, a person who is not a quote-unquote movie buff, can recognize that this is something special.
Yeah. 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 It does. It's so, yeah, it's so interesting because it's so early on in sort of like, you know, it's not that early in film history, but you figure it's like their forties, you know, so mm-hmm. probably yeah, becoming a thing. And it's like, the movie does everything that you want a movie to do, even back then. It's like before people yeah. knew what a good movie was, they're like, okay, yeah, this is exactly what a good movie is. You know, before they'd been established. Mm-hmm. It's it's fa- fantastic. Yeah, the thing the thing that's really struck me in that movie is the sheer size of everything. Yeah. Right? Like like it it's abs- like it's it's a it's a it's a uh, monument to this guy's wealth that everything he has is humongous and you can't find anything anywhere and he's just got warehouses and massive buildings like i i love the that that idea of the 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 like all of the sets and stuff that <laughs> they used as being this unbelievably huge thing um as like a show of like that's how much wealth this guy is you don't understand how much money <laughs> this guy had um yeah. and this is the 40s too right like somebody nowadays doesn't that's not how they spend their money right they don't they don't just say look at all this land that i can buy it's it's a totally different portrayal of of rich like a rich lifestyle but um i i really enjoyed it it made all the people in the movie seem so small which i'm sure was the intent yeah right that like no matter where they went they were never going to be like the right size for this thing because he was bigger than all that i mean like fuck man like that (laughs) we could i don't even know that much about film and i like really could talk a lot about that movie oh yeah yeah i think that's the thing again that helped establish the way people tell stories through movies because i think before that people were being more literal so the fact that he's using visual metaphors that's kind of brand new you know and like mm-hmm. um especially for a hollywood movie i think germans have been doing that in the 20s with expressionism but like in a hollywood movie that's kind of rare and i think so when you watch f for fake you watch the movie like this is a movie about editing like it's actually a movie about how movies are edited because it's so crazily edited and so tightly edited it's like i was watching that movie i was like i don't know how the fuck he did this he must have just been like on <laughs> some sort of amphetamine in an editing room for twelve hours at a time and just cutting this thing together because it's it's mind boggling. 